0: Good morning morning to our viewers online as well. Uh, Like Amber said, today we're continuing our message series on Malachi and how God is calling his people to return to him with sincere worship. So when I was a boy, uh, I used to make all these cheesy gifts for my mom. When I look back though, uh, at least from my perspective, um, the gifts were kind of lame but every time I gave my mom something uh, that I had made, she was, she was overjoyed. It wasn't like she needed the things that I made her because she didn't. Um, she just enjoyed the fact that um, I put my heart and my soul into making something for her that I thought of her. Sometimes it was a drawing. Sometimes it was a craft. Uh, I did a pottery once. Um, I even did cross-stitch. I learned cross-stitch and made something for her. In middle school, I remember in shop class making her a uh, napkin holder um, out of acrylic. Um, after she went to be with the Lord in 2013, I came across a lot of these things uh, that I'd given her as a boy. Um, she still had all these things that I had made her. So it's, it's like that with God. Um, There is nothing you can give God that he needs. Um, But when we give him an offering, we're essentially saying, God, I love you, and I'm thinking of you, and I want to put you first in my life. It's not because God needs anything, uh, but because we want to show our love for him. Before we get into Malachi today, uh, I want us to start in the Gospel of John. Um, it's in chapters 11 and 12, um, so let me, let me set the stage for you. Um, the biggest holiday of the year was coming, Passover, and people were pouring into Jerusalem. Um, but Jesus and his disciples were going in, in the opposite direction. They were headed towards Bethany, uh, the home of some of Jesus' closest friends. The last time Jesus was in Bethany, uh, he had raised Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, if you remember this, um, from the dead. So on this day before the Passover, uh, Jesus was visiting people who had already seen that amazing miracle. Uh, Many who had witnessed it uh, came to believe in him, and a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Jesus was sitting at the table uh, with some people and with Lazarus when Mary approached with her gift. It was a pound of pure, expensive, scented ointment in a jar carved of rare alabaster. Mary took the most expensive thing that she had and poured it out onto Jesus' feet. You remember this story. She knelt down weeping. She wiped his feet with her hair. She worshipped him. Jesus didn't move to get up, even though I'm sure uh, there was ointment like all over the floor, and the smell was filling the whole house. I mean, there was a pound of it right? Uh, Maybe the conversation stopped as they all just watched. It was probably uncomfortably silent. What Mary was doing was like over-the-top extravagant, to the point of almost being improper. Kind of reminds me of, of David dancing before the Lord, just wearing an an ephod, saying, I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes, right? So one commentary says that the cost of this ointment that Mary had poured out onto Jesus' feet was worth about 300 denarii, which uh, in today's terms, probably about $54,000, So when Mary took the lid off of that expensive jar and she began to pour this expensive ointment onto Jesus' feet, they had to have gasped. For one thing, this kind of perfume wasn't used for feet. Right? It was a kind of ointment that's used to anoint the heads of kings and dignitaries. What Mary did would have been considered a horrible waste in most people's minds but that wasn't how she saw it Mary loved and valued and worshiped the feet of the master Isaiah 52:7 says how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news the good news of peace and salvation The news that the God of Israel reigns. No other feet in the entire world were more beautiful to Mary than the feet of Jesus. Jesus had changed her life. Jesus had brought her brother back from the dead. Jesus had brought new meaning to her family. Remember, Jesus taught this. He said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Mary's actions revealed her heart as she poured out her most valuable treasure onto Jesus' feet. She deeply loved Jesus, and she showed it with the gift that she brought to him. No one could deny that this was an act of pure love and worship, except one. One of the guests, the same one who would betray Jesus, uh, became angry about this squandering of this expensive ointment. An entire pound of ointment, like literally wasted on Jesus' feet, Maybe this jar contained the only thing Mary thought was valuable enough to give to her Lord. If she hadn't given it to Jesus that day, uh, we would not be talking about this act of worship 2,000 years later. Jesus said to Judas, Leave her alone. This anointing was for his burial. Matthew 26, 12 and 13, Jesus says, She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Mary's act of worship and adoration had become a prophetic moment. And that night became holy because of her offering. So contrast this beautiful picture of Mary worshiping at the feet of Jesus with the apathetic worship that we find in the book of Malachi. As we've said in this series, the Israelites in Malachi's day, um, their worship had grown cold. They had grown apathetic and they were just going through the motions. Their worship was no longer out of love. It had become ritual. And as a result, they offered blemished sacrifices. The priests had become unfaithful. Divorce was commonplace. Um, We see in today's scripture that the Israelites were cheating God. How were they cheating God? Uh, By withholding their tithes and offerings. Their attitude was... How little can I give and still keep God happy? So let's look at uh, verses 8 through 12 again. It says, should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me? But you ask, well, what do you mean? When, when did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So there are three things to notice in this passage. One, um, there's a warning to the people of God, um, right? It says, you're cheating God. God says, I told you to give me a tithe, and you are cheating me. Some translations say, robbing me. And because you are consuming it all yourselves, um, you are being cursed. So think of that. God is saying to his own people, I have cursed you because you have not put me first. So this word tithe, that comes from the Hebrew uh, word that means one-tenth, one-tenth. So like if you made $100, uh, a tithe would be $10 right? Sometimes we say tithe when really we just mean an offering, but tithe means one-tenth. So listen to the scripture from Matthew 23. It's Jesus speaking here. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So that's Jesus talking to the Pharisees. The point, of course, is that the Pharisees are obeying the letter of the law by tithing, but they're neglecting justice, mercy, and faith. Sometimes I get people telling me um, that tithing is not in the New Testament, but it's right there from the mouth of Jesus. Sometimes, too, when we, when we talk about tithing, uh, we, we refer to it as ours to give, like I'm going to give my tithe. Um, in the Bible, though, the tithe was always recognized as God's, right? It's God's tithe, it's not my tithe, right? People in the Bible didn't give a tithe, but they repaid it to the owner of all things, Right? The Bible doesn't talk about giving a tithe, it talks about taking, presenting, or even paying a tithe. So another thing we learn from today's scripture um, in Malachi is God is essentially saying, if you don't believe me, just put me to the test, right? In today's language, it'd be, I triple dog dare you, Right? See if I won't open up the floodgates of heaven. I will do things that you never even thought about because you dared to put me first. I think I've mentioned before, uh, maybe in a message, I know I mentioned in the Life Church 101 class, um, that I, how much I struggled personally with this idea of tithing, right? I grew up in the 80s. Um, I saw all kinds of abuses happening from uh, all kinds of televangelists and stuff. So I was pretty jaded, right? I'm just gonna be authentic up here, right? Uh, But Jackie and I started hearing some good teaching um, on tithing. uh, Felt like the Lord was stirring in our hearts to trust him. Um, I mentioned before, too, uh, how God has been so faithful to us since we started tithing 20 years ago, um, even in some pretty supernatural ways. So here's one of those ways. Uh, When I first went on staff at uh, my last church, it was 2007 uh, in Kansas City, and uh, we had been tithing about six years at that point. Um... 10% 10% of our income going to the local church. And even though God had blessed us uh, in many ways financially, uh, we still had a lot of bad financial habits. Okay? Um, we still had a lot of debt, credit cards, student loans. Like, I'm just being real here, okay? About $250,000 worth. Right? We had just moved to Kansas City. Uh, we definitely couldn't afford to buy a house. Um, so we were looking for an apartment that we could afford. Um, it was Sunday morning. One of my first Sundays there on staff. And I was at church. Um, we hadn't signed a lease yet um, for an apartment. I think we were actually going to go that afternoon uh, to go sign a lease for an apartment. So in the lobby uh, that morning at church, this couple comes up to me and said the following. I'm quoting them. This is what they said. God told us last night that you guys are supposed to live in our house. I was like, okay, who are these crazy people? <laughs> what are they even talking about? Uh, but come to find out, uh, they, they own some rental properties and God had told them that they were supposed to have us live there rent-free for a while so we could save up for a down payment on a house. So I went to my senior pastor and told him what had happened. He, he, he said, they're, they're a solid couple. Uh, they're marriage mentors. They help teach the financial peace class. They're budget coaches. Um, he said that if they were offering, uh, that it would be okay with him. If we took them up on their offer, so we did. and we, uh, so we ended up living in one of their, their houses. It was a 900 square foot um, two bedroom one bath, kind of sh- they called it a shotgun house, it's like real long and narrow. Um, and we lived there two years, rent- free, and then a third year, we started paying them uh, some rent, about four hundred dollars a month. This couple. Um, offered to help us as budget coaches. Um, it took a lot of guts, I think, um, to just, in humility, really, <laughs> to just lay out all of our financial mistakes to this couple. Like, here's, here it is. Can you help us? Uh, they weren't at all judgmental. They were very gracious, they were very loving. Um, God's grace, once again, was just pouring out on us. Uh, we totally did not deserve this. Um, they, just, they just loved on us and they gave us hope. They, they gave us a plan, right? So uh, they, they helped us learn how to budget, right? To this day, we still do this, the envelope system. We do it on our phones and on the computer. Um, They helped us to consolidate all of our consumer debt. Um, We were finally able to buy a house. Um, We eventually paid off our student loans. We became debt-free. We were able to start funding some retirement accounts and even a 529 account for our son. That's like a college, educational kind of thing. So not only were we tithing through all of those years, but probably 15 out of the, out of the last 18 years, uh, we were also giving to various like church uh, building campaigns. Um, also, um, we were financially supporting, in many ways, each of our own mothers, right? Sending lots of money uh, to help them out. I'm telling you, God's math is not our math. It is not our math. We, um, when we put God first in all areas of our lives, including our finances, um, we are worshiping him, we are trusting him, and just like the miracle of the fish and the loaves, um, we get to see God multiply our gifts So there's another purpose uh, in in giving the tithe. Uh, Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. So the purpose of the tithe was primarily to support the priests who minister before the Lord, but it was also used to help support the poor. Deuteronomy 14, 28 and 29 says, at the end of every third year, Bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites, who will receive no allotment of land among you, as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans and the widows in your towns, so they can eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. So, likewise, here at Life Church, um, we tithes on our annual budget. So 10% of our annual budget goes to support missions, missionaries, um, outreach ministries in the community, benevolence. Benevolence is financial aid to the poor in our community, right? That money is also used to help launch new uh, outreach ministries that will be birthed in the hearts of of this congregation, right? The idea is that um, all of that goes outside these walls to bless the lost, the last, and the least. So giving has always been a form of worship in the Bible. And the heart behind our giving really does matter to the Lord. And how much it costs us matters to the Lord. King David was once offered a free piece of property to build an altar for worship Uh, But he refused because he wasn't going to offer God something that cost him nothing. Remember when Jesus uh, commented on the widow's offering of two coins, right, worth just a few cents. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. So in giving, motivation, our motivation is, is absolutely crucial. Well, and I want to start out by listing a few wrong motives for giving. These are listed in your sermon notes as well and they'll be up on the screen. So first wrong motive for giving is pride. Right? If you give to be honored by people for your generosity, you're giving for the wrong reason. Giving should be done before the Lord, not before people. Naming buildings, putting up uh, plaques of honor, right, for donors, um, that violates that principle. Uh, Second wrong motive for giving is guilt, right? We shouldn't give out of a sense of guilt. Uh, Third one is greed. So Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you. And that is often used to wrongly motivate people to give so that they will receive more. Jesus isn't promising that if you give, God will always give you more in return. He's stating the principle that um, if you're a generous person, others will be generous toward you. So think about like giving a gift to your spouse, right? Um, It should not be transactional, right? Quid pro quo, little Latin, this for that, right? Um, I did this for you, now you do this for me. Number four, uh, wrong motive for giving is pressure. So responding to high-pressure tactics from Christian fundraisers. Um, That's another wrong motive. 2 Corinthians 9 7 says, You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. A fifth wrong motive for giving is um, like gimmicks. Gimmicks. So all sorts of gimmicks are used to get people to give, like um, for your donation. I'll send you my latest book, right? Or if you give this much, uh, we'll send you a special prayer cloth that's been prayed over by Pastor Greg. <laughs> he, he is probably the most pastoral and loving among all of us, so I would get him to pray over those if we were <laughs> giving those out. <laughs> um, but we're not going to do that, right? <laughs> So these are gimmicks. These are not, this is not biblical giving, all right? Power, that's another wrong motive for giving, power. Money is power, right? Some people will use their, their large financial gifts as leverage to try to get their way in the church. They threaten to take away their big gifts and take it somewhere else if they don't get what they want. Um, that may be how politics operates. That isn't how Christ's church should operate. Um, it is wrong to show preference to the wealthy. Uh, and it is a sin to try to buy uh, spiritual influence. So um, those are some wrong motives for giving. Here's some right ones. Okay. Uh, number one, Give because God has given to you. God has given us everything. Um, He gave his son to provide for our salvation. Uh, He has blessed us, according to Ephesians, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Um, And because he has given so abundantly to us, we should respond like Mary and just give generously back to him. So, Give because God has given to you. Another right motive for giving is give because you want to please God. Give out of the response of God's grace in your life. Um, Not to earn anything, but just out of a heart of thankfulness because you want to please God. Uh, Number three, right motive uh, for giving is give because you want God to be glorified. God is glorified when we worship through our giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 15 says, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words, right? Give because you want God to be glorified. Okay, number four, um, give because you want your heart to be right before God. Okay, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our heart follows our treasure. If you want your heart focused on the things of God right, then you have to invest in his kingdom work here in the world. That's number four. Number five is give because you want God to be your master, not money. Matthew six twenty four says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So as we, as we learn to give generously, it begins to break the grip that money has on us. Both, and it can have a hold on us in, in two ways, both in terms of greed and in terms of fear. We can be in bondage to either one. Number six, give because you want your life to be used by God. God, God could have chosen to work apart from us. But he didn't. Um, He could have commanded the angels in heaven to share the good news of Jesus Christ, but instead he chose to use us. And when it comes to financing that kingdom work, it's not not like God needs our money. He doesn't. Um, Sometimes we look at it wrongly. Like, we get to be used by God to further his work. One day, one day, we will discover how sad it is that many chose not to give and then missed out on the blessing of being used by God to impact people for eternity. Like, which leads to the next point. Number seven, get give because you want to take what is temporal, like short-lived, right, finite, and invest it into what is eternal, right? Money itself and everything we can buy with it will one day cease to exist. It'll turn to dust, right? But we can take what is temporal, what is short-lived, what is finite, what will eventually turn to dust, and invest it into what is eternal. Like there is no more sound investment than that of reaching people with the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. Like even impacting the eternal destiny of one person, that person will be thanking you for eternity. And number eight, give because you want your faith to grow. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So my my faith has definitely grown in this area over the years. Um, Like the story I told you about the couple offering us their home, I have seen God do some amazing things in our life uh, financially over the years I, and I have some friends who really excel at this um, they have so much faith when it comes to their finances like literally they get excited when there's like this huge financial need and then there's a deadline for that need because it's yet another opportunity to see God do something miraculous I'm not there yet <laughs> but I'm getting there All right, number nine, give because you want to grow in compassion and love and mercy. Uh, 1 John 3.17 says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? So it's easy to become jaded in our giving, right? Especially when it comes to giving to the homeless or giving to the poor um, if, you, if you don't want to give them the money, like you're worried that they'll misuse it, try giving them food, try giving them clothing, um, or give it to a reputable organization, right, that, uh, that helps the poor. So, funny story. Um, I told you about when I first went on staff at Last Church, about 2007, so about 14 years ago, uh, we were living in that house that I told you about. Uh, it was right right there da- in downtown Kansas City. Um, it was Christmas morning, and I was out walking our dog, Arnold. It's his name, Arnold? So Arnold was a tricolor Bassett Beagle mix. It was really, you know, real short and long and tricolored and... Um, He's in heaven now, <laughs> but uh, loved Arnold. Anyway, um, I just opened up a can of worms, didn't I? Do animals go to heaven? I'll deal with that in another series. <laughs> it won't be heaven if my Arnold isn't there, I'll say that. <laughs> okay, so I'm walking, I'm walking Arnold, downtown Kansas City, and he starts doing his business, right? Number two. Uh, and I reached in my pocket, I'm like, oh, I don't have a bag. <laughs> All right. And so at the same time when I'm like, oh, I don't have a bag, a car starts pulling up right next to me and the window comes down and a hand comes out holding, holding a brown paper bag. And uh, I, I thought maybe he was giving me a bag for my dog. And then he says, are you hungry?" And I realized in that moment that he thought I was homeless and he was offering me a sack meal. Which now when I think back, like my hair was all messed up and I literally just got out and was starting to walk, walk the dog. So his ministry that he took on, on Christmas morning, was to go out, drive around. And I remember seeing in his back seat, there were all these brown bags filled up with stuff. Like that was his thing. He was going to go out on Christmas morning and just try to feed the homeless. I thanked him. I said, you know, I'm not homeless, (laughs) but thank you. God bless you for doing what you're doing. Um, It is impossible to respond to every need we see. But ask the Holy Spirit what you can do. right? And how you can show compassion in the name of Christ, and, and he will show you. Number 10, right motive for giving um, is give because you want to be a worshiper of God. Giving is a sacrifice that pleases God. Paul said to the Philippians, uh, in Philippians four eighteen, he said, I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And then the writer of Hebrews said, said this in uh, Hebrews 13, 16, don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So I've talked about uh, wrong motives for giving. I've talked about right motives for giving. Um, what does the Bible say about how we should give? Um, So here are three just basic principles for giving. Okay, number one, uh, we should give in a pre-planned systematic way, right? 1 Corinthians 16.2 says, on the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. So the implication here is that regular systematic giving is an act of worship, It implies advanced planning, not just like giving on impulse. Um, When we started tithing, it was a check uh, once a month that we would would put in the plate. Um, Later, I found it easier to set up the kind of automatic bank withdrawal kind of thing. Some people I've talked to, they don't like that, and I like that because um, they, they feel it's more an act of worship if they physically bring their tithe to the church. Um, some bring it weekly, some bring it monthly. Um, I've known several people who are like business owners or they were in sales um, who gave once a year, like usually towards the end of the year. The idea, though, is that you and your family like sit down and determine a fixed amount that you believe God wants you to give and then you set that up. Um, maybe you are not at the place where you feel like you can tithe yet, like, like you're working towards or you're building towards a tithe. Maybe, maybe you're like, like we were, like you've got, you've got all this debt and on top of that, you're like sending money to your parents, your in-laws. But again, I would tell you, um, God's math is not our math. If, I, if, if we waited until we could afford the tithe, uh, we never would have done it. I think the answer is to pray about it and let God challenge you. Let him tell you how much you should give. He is faithful is faithful. He'll follow through and he will make it work, right? So on a side note, um, if you are like where we were and just, you know, you're, you're in debt, most people, statistically speaking, are. Um, I know Todd Broyles led a class on finances this fall and I'm uh, pretty sure we'll have one again next spring. So please be on the lookout for that uh, when we have our lineup our spring lineup of classes and groups. um, Those principles are life transforming, they really are. Um, So second biblical principle for giving uh, is this, we should give in secret. And I know it's ironic that I'm saying this uh, because I'm telling you about our giving uh, but if I'm going to teach on it, I feel, I feel like the Lord's okay with me sharing some of our giving history with you, so I can encourage you, give you some biblical teaching on this. But as I've already said, uh, giving because of pride or power or recognition uh, is wrong. Jesus says that we're supposed to give in secret. Um, it is for the Lord and for no one else, right? Right? A third biblical principle for giving is that, at times, uh, we should give sacrificially. Like, there are times when God wants us to give more than we think we can afford. So let's look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, it says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So there are times when the Lord leads us to go above and beyond in our giving. Over the years for us, um, I I mentioned the church building campaigns we gave to. um, There were times when like one of our parents needed something big, car repair, something, some kind of repair in the house. Um, there were several times we felt the Lord saying, uh, "We we were to bless friends, family members um, by having them move in with us uh, for sometimes months, even years at a time." Um, we've had several people do that. Um, the key is to listen to the Lord. And he will tell you and to be obedient to that. And when we honor God uh, with our giving, we are essentially acknowledging that he has everything we need and he has promised to take care of us, right? When we give something we might be depending on, um, when the Lord is asking us to, um, we show our love, we show our trust that he will keep his promises. When we give in abundance, uh, even to the point where we think, like people think we might be overdoing it, right? Like Mary, like King David. Um, God sees that. We really begin to grasp what Christ has done for us, like the deep, immeasurable, and sacrificial gift that he has given us, right? Right? How do we respond to this unfathomable love and grace and sacrifice? The simple answer is that we worship. Um, We wanna do what pleases Jesus and what brings him glory. When the Spirit leads us to worship the Lord through giving, God is glorified, and we get the blessing of seeing his kingdom come, right? In the words of Jesus' prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. Right? And we get to see the blessing of lives transformed for eternity. It's, it's wonderful. Like, to, to just... Give it all, say, Lord, use me. Use my time, use my talents, use my treasure because there's no greater gift than to be used by the, by the Lord Almighty and to see people plucked from the hands of the enemy and brought into eternal life in the kingdom of God. It's better than a boat, it's better than an Xbox. <laughs> right give it to the lord let's pray lord jesus uh, we are in awe of your great love for us how you laid down your life for us how you continue to provide for us how you continue to pour out your grace on us how you saved us from sin from death and even from ourselves Lord, I pray you would ingrain in our hearts that image of Mary sitting at your feet and just worshiping you. That that beautiful image of surrender and humility and thankfulness and love. Help each of us, Lord, to truly be worshipers of you in spirit and in truth, putting you first in every area of our lives. We just love you Lord and it's your name we pray Amen